0: a little bit. You know, I mean, it can be a slippery slope. You don't, you just, you don't want to push your out. Oh, no. yeah. Well, Mr. Rob. You know. yeah. yeah. It's a fragment. Yeah. Nice. Same two morning, morning. Yeah. I don't i I just
1: don't like yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's all yeah, I need. Mean. I just
2: couldn't, just because I was looking at it and I played as an example of it
1: and it was really fast. And it's fast too. That's a medium slow too. I'm going to go.
0: Medium slow too.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You
3: know what that is? With the speed we can all go. It's
0: okay. Yeah, well, we, they think it would we a oh, them, yeah. Well, I've had kids oh, come yeah. through my program and found out I was a Christian. joy, and they found out what I actually and they were so sad. you say that about That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they a, you know, see, that's the problem. That's the problem with <laughs> yeah.
2: the fact that they're tolerant to the point where they're willing to accept you, and then they're not. tolerant. The right. I don't want tolerance. I just want nice to and, 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 and I'll tell you what I want tolerance. They want tolerance to say. I want to to give them to. steps because if there always is a
0: production, we're, like, we're, we're all all of that way, but no have the answer. Oh but saying that we're both right, because oh, yeah. we, we nobody really knows the truth, and I'm the truth unto
2: myself, because my truth, <laughs> this world would look different if it was my truth. He's <laughs> so, stopped growing, look how tall he is, he's going play basketball, because <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't well, do
3: Good morning.
0: morning.
3: Let's look at our announcements. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Solomon in his wisdom. Tonight, studies in gospel of John, 6 p.m., says we're low on pop Um, choir tonight at five I suspect that that's becoming a priority Um, so be here for that men's Bible study Tuesday 10 a.m. at the McLeod's you have a note there uh, about prayer meeting however that's gonna become a choir practice so no prayer meeting per se Um, but still meet uh, if you're a member of the choir. And I believe that will be for the next two Wednesdays. So make a note of that. Choir practice Wednesday at 7. Mission committee uh, also has a meeting this Wednesday at 6.15. So before that choir practice, mission committee. Days of of praise uh, and acts and facts are here on the foyer table. Uh, Make use of those. Because if you don't, they just get stacked on the shelf, you know, and we get piles of them. So take the new ones, take the old ones, and use those. You're invited to the 80th birthday for Carol Atwood. That's Saturday the 16th at Metamora Masonic Lodge. And that's from 12 to 2, RSVP by the 1st. Uh, Carol's daughter, Tanya, has her number there. Check the shelf above the coat rack. That's right behind that wall, right there, and see uh, if you have any items that you might need to take home. Children, take your mission posters home today. Communion service next week. No dinner. You'll see the Christmas concert scheduled then for the 17th of December, and that's uh, a matinee. Tithing envelopes are here for the new year, so sign up uh, for those, and as normal, if you can, use the same number, and that'll save some work. All right, anything that I've missed, Dale? Oh, I got got it, Dale, thanks. I got it written here in big letters, so I didn't miss it, and I missed it. Um, decorating for Christmas uh, here at the church, uh, that's uh, this coming Saturday at about 1 p.m. If you can help with the decorations, this coming Saturday at 1. All right. One more. One more.
1: A Bible study that I forgot to get in the bulletin is um, Friday the 8th at our house.
3: Okay. Bible study Friday the 8th at the Luke's. That's the Bob Duco series. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. Scripture for meditation then uh, is Second Thessalonians. Chapter three, read verses six through 18. Let's stand together and open our service
1: with a
0: prayer.
3: Tom, would you open for us today?
2: I have you, Father, again. Thank you, Praisey, for this opportunity that we have, that we can come together. And, Father, if we do so, we pray that God bless the Lord as for that give us hearts and minds of understanding Lord, that we would continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Lord, that thy spirit would um, continue to work in all those ones whose hearts brief. Lord, we just also pray for those who are sick of, of my side, Lord. You know the daughter of the great comforter. And Lord, through thee all things are possible. Again, Lord, have your way in each of our lives
0: and in this service. Lord, all praise and honor to the Christ name we ask. Amen. Good morning. Take your
4: red Trinity hymnals and turn to number seven. Number seven in the red hymnal.
1: keys.
3: Reading this morning is in Ecclesiastes in chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 8 through 12.
4: see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness do not be amazed at the matter for the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them but this is the gain for a land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this is also vanity when the goods increase they increase who eat them and the advantage has their, own, has their owner, but to see them with his eyes. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their own, owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand Brown him this time and turn to number four hundred and fifty-one, four five one, <clears throat> in the brown. <clears throat>
2: Our scripture text is taken from Ecclesiastes 5. In our last study in the series, Believers Under Trial, we dealt with the hurt associated with loneliness. We talked about two types of loneliness. Number one, spatial loneliness, that is, The loneliness of living alone, isolated from the rest of the world, but more importantly, isolated from family and friends. Paul used the expression, left all alone, concerning the widows that the church is to help. And Anna, the prophetess, was uh, our example of that, who resided in the temple after the death of her husband. She was bereft not only of her husband, she had no children. So where was she supposed to go in that day and age? She lived in the temple. Many people find themselves left all alone after the death of a loved one. We talked about the senior apartment houses in Lapeer, whose residents seldom see anyone other than a fellow apartment dweller. Either they have no family, where the family and friends are too preoccupied to pay them a visit. And that happens all the time. We learn that for the believer, the church becomes a safe haven, a place for fellowship, a place for social interaction on more than just a cordial basis. Because you can have fellowship of soul, you can have fellowship of mind when you're dealing with believers. And then secondly, and very... Important is the loneliness of heart, not just spatial loneliness, but the loneliness of heart. We looked at Adam in Eden. He had lots of living creatures about him, and he interacted with them as their caretaker. But in spirit, he was alone till God created Eve. She became a true helper suited to him. I can say it this way, a soulmate for him that the animals never provided. And then we close by looking at some of the biblical cures for loneliness, cultivate associations and fellowship within the church family. That promotes unity and evidences grace. And then learn the value of being alone. You know, being alone uh, helps you to recharge your spiritual batteries. And um, that's not all bad. You know, you can have your Bible studies, you can read your... Books that you never get to read and those kind of things. You can do some writing if you're into writing, journaling if you're into journaling. You can do a lot of things alone if your heart is right, just you and God and progressing in your own spiritual growth. Well, today I want to consider the trauma of financial stress. Oh, we have financial stress? Yes, we have financial stress. And all of us experience that at one time in our life or another. And as we come to this study, let's ask the Lord to enable us. Father, send your spirit to teach us the truths of your word. It is true. We have the open pages of the Bible in front of us. We can read the English translation. We can understand the words, but... Unless your spirit applies the spiritual truths to our heart, unless you bring conviction to our souls, these words will pass right over us and will not have the benefit that you intended when you inspired the scriptures. Thank you for each one here. May we leave this place today rejoicing in the Lord, having learned something of your great goodness to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, for His glory, for our good. Amen. We're looking at this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're looking at the trauma of financial stress. And under that, you'll notice in your bulletin outline, the volatile economics of the needy poor. I want to start there. The volatile economics of the needy poor. Once again, we return to this very, very helpful book of Ecclesiastes, which contains Solomon's, may I say, God's wisdom concerning life and living. This morning's text is chapter 5, in which Solomon addresses the need for money versus the pursuit of money to get rich. So he addresses two classes of people. Verse 8, if you see the poor, he says. Now, he doesn't say that because you're not going to see them. Uh, in fact, you are going to see them. It's not really questionable. You will see the poor. Jesus put it this way. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. Mark 14, verse 7. You might want to look at Deuteronomy fifteen eleven on your own, and you'll have this similar phraseology in the Old Testament scriptures. What the Bible is saying is that the poor are everywhere. In America, in the wealthiest cities of the world, you will find the poor living in meager dwellings, eking out an existence in what economists call the poverty level. What's the poverty level? Poverty level is a substandard income according to government standards for the size of the family. In Michigan, the poverty level rate is 16.8%. So, 16% of our population live in what the government calls the poverty level. The dollar amount for a poverty level person, a family of four, is $20,050. Could you support a family of four on $20,050 for the year? Light bills, food bills, clothing bills, you name all those bills and add it up. In Lapeer County, the poverty level is 10.3%. So we have the poverty poor in Lapeer County. And our Lord is right. He's saying, you know, even in a rural county like our own, the poor you will always be able to find. Always. Sometimes the poverty is due to oppression. Verse 8 of our text. Solomon defines what he means by such oppression. It is where, he says, justice and rights are denied. That's oppression. And he adds, Do not be surprised at such things. And then he explains why. A chain of officials ruling over the poor, and each of them have their hands out to siphon off taxes, fees, tariffs, bribes you name it, they're there. Or money loss that the poor can ill afford thus leaving them with subsistence ways to try to live. Solomon even admits that the king himself profits from the fields. So what would that be? That'd be property taxes, generally, that are not, they're not negotiable. You get your county taxes each year, twice a year, summer and winter taxes. Oh, yeah, you can go in and see the review board if you want to try to argue them down. And say, uh, you know, my house isn't worth that much and my land isn't worth that much. But um, I can assure you from one person that's been there and done that, (laughs) you're generally going to lose. Well, Mr. Luke, and then they give you the, the, the bottom line. They're generally not negotiable. And because of that very thing, people lose their properties, and you see it in the paper all the time, it's called a sheriff's sale. What does that mean? It means the sheriff comes in and says, you, out. We're taking your property. We're foreclosing on your house. Now the Bible has a lot to say about oppressing the poor. Job gives this commentary in his day referencing the wicked. Listen to what he says. This sounds like our day. Men move boundary stones. Hmm. They pasture flocks that they've stolen. They drive away the orphan's donkey. They take the widow ox as a pledge. They thrust the needy from the path. They force all the poor of the land into hiding. Like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go about their labor of foraging food. The wasteland provides food for their children. Rummaging through waste cans. Have you ever seen that in the city? I have. In La Père. Yeah. They're looking for pop bottles or pop cans. Get the 10 cents or so on the refund. The scripture goes on. They gather fodder. In the fields and glean in the vineyards of the wicked. What's fodder? That's bedding for farm animals. It's chopped up vegetation, it's dried, but they're in there foraging, looking for something. Let me read on. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold. They are drenched by mountain rains. And they hug the rocks for lack of shelter. The fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is seized for a debt. They become conscripted servants. Job 24, verses 2 through 9. In other words, no mercy in dealing with the poor who may be indebted to a land baron. David's prayer in Psalm 109 recounts similar atrocities perpetrated upon the poor by the wicked of his day. And he prays this prayer against them. I don't know if you'd ever think to pray this way, but uh, he does. Here's what he says. Nice praying against the wicked. Remember that. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers ponder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their numbers blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of the, his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Would you ever think to pray that harshly against the wicked? But David did it. Now here's his reasoning. He goes on. Here's his motive. For, here's my reasoning, says David, for he, the oppressor, never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy. And the broken hearted. And he loved to pronounce a curse. May it come on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May be it far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water. Into his bones like oil. Psalm 109 verse 8 and following. What is he saying? David says... It's in his blood to be that nasty towards the poor, that cruel-hearted. It's in his blood. Cursing, bitterness, rank, unkindness characterize this wicked man's dealings with the poor. Solomon observed the poor are shunned even by their neighbor's But the rich have many friends. Mm. But blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14, verse 20 and 21. And then in verse 31, same chapter. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Wow. You want practical religion? This is practical religion. This is rubber meet the road, religion. Isaiah prophesied against the nation Israel, saying, "No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be highly respected. For the fool speaks folly, his mind is busy with evil. He practices ungodliness and spreads error concerning the Lord. The hungry he leaves empty. And from the thirsty, he withholds water. The scoundrel's methods are wicked. He makes up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. Isaiah 32, verses 5 through 7. I wouldn't want to be that guy that God is observing. Now you can readily see that the nature of the oppression which occurs against the poor evolves around the necessities of life. Food, clothing, something to drink, housing. Those who delight in cursing or mocking the poor instead of helping them, yes, there too. The injustice in the court system when even the poor are in the right, but lies are spoken against them. And then there's the contempt for the poor just because they are poor. And the scripture says when they have, we have contempt for the poor, we have contempt for their maker who is God. It's easy to see that someone labeled as poor by any definition is surely going to be hurting from the stress of an economic downturn. Many people just a year or two ago would never have been classified as poor, have lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, they've had to move in with relatives or friends, scarcely have two nickels to rub together. Now they have cut and cut and cut from their budget Not just the luxuries of life, but also the necessities. Everything is bare bones because there is no money, there's no work, there are no assets. Everything they had of value is sold to pay off debts or feed faces. Poverty has come to these people that they have never known before. This brings stress on their marriage. Because the spouse may bail out from the man who can no longer provide a nice home and a nice car. Children do not know what they have to go. Do not know why they have to go without. When before they, they had everything, all they had to do was ask. Their every need and want was provided. You ever look in the paper and see how foreclosures on homes are looming in our county? You've got to read that sometime. Loss of health because of medicine and treatments costs money. Loss of station in life. The experience of mockery or false accusations against the breadwinner. On and on it goes. Lots and lots of stress because of being impoverished due to economic variables, many of which are beyond our control. Say, so, wasn't well, the economy getting better? Yeah, but you know, the economy gets better like at uh, can I say it a snail's pace. <laughs> it's not jackrabbit; it's snail, <laughs> very, very slow. And what one man experiences in terms of encouragement, he gets a raise at work or whatever. Another person goes year in and year out, no raise. And maybe even losing his job. So there's the volatile economics of the poor. Secondly, and this will surprise you, there's volatile economics of the ambitious wealthy. You (laughs) say, wait wait a minute, what could possibly be Economic stress for those who have money to burn. I'm going to list list four stress factors for you to consider. You'll never consider this, but unless I force you to do. Number one, there's the problem of insatiable greed. Verse 10 Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Here Solomon addresses the problem of greed. Yes, those who are not rich can experience the sin of greed. But here Solomon tells us that the greed that he's talking about is the particular problem of people who have money. But to them it's not money enough. They're never satisfied with their income. I read of a city in California that declared bankruptcy. A city that declared bankruptcy. Why? Well, because they cannot pay the exorbitant retirement pensions of their public employees, which are negotiated were no- negotiated many, many years ago. And now these people are coming to the age of retirement. For example, a retiring fireman in this city received $157,000 a year for the rest of his life, plus all of his health benefits for life. Oh, 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 and and the retirement age is um, age 50. Wouldn't that just fry your socks? Age 50? I might have all my hair by that time. Still at that age. You too, George, maybe. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Despite the government's attempt, the city's attempt, to negotiate with these unions, the rank and file have refused concessions. They want it all. It's in the contract. Even if it breaks the city's bank and adds to California's $1.6, $168 billion deficit. There's no view here of <coughs> the greater good taking less to keep the city solvent, <coughs> taking less so the essential services fire, police, medical emergencies, and so on will remain viable. No, we want it all. I don't think they've thought through what happens when the city goes bankrupt. Are they going to get all the payments? I don't think so. John the Baptist confronted this dilemma centuries ago. Yeah, John the Baptist? Yeah, listen. When people came to him for baptism and he commanded them to repent. Well, guess who came to him? The Roman soldiers came to him. And here's what they asked What should we do? Roman soldiers paid by the government, right? Here's how he answered Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. Luke 3, verse 14. Greed or lack of contentment is a stress factor for those who love wealth and are never, ever satisfied with their income. Mm -hmm. How much money do you need to live on? Mm -hmm. Oh, just a little more, just a little more, just a little more. Will you ever be sad? No, just a little more. Secondly, the goods that we get come and go. Look at verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? This is so picturesque. You've heard the expression, easy come, easy go. What about hard work to come by and easy to go? In the business world, this is called overhead. The more money you make, the bigger your enterprise. The bigger your enterprise, the more employees you have to hire. The more employees, the more expense. The more expense, less profit. Solomon sees this as a vicious circle. Increase goods, increase consumers, increase consumption. Less goods or holdings for the owner. You never thought about that, did you? <clears throat> so, what does the owner get to do? Well, his merchandise is just a meaningless, empty treasure of things to feast his eyes on, but he never gets to enjoy himself. This is work without profit. Work without any net gain. Everything is a pass-through. He's making money, but he's also spending it at an alarming rate. So much so that there's little or no benefit to the owner. It's all risk, but no profit. Now, if you have never been in business for yourself, you may struggle to understand what Solomon's saying here about the businessman. I'll tell you what he's saying. It isn't all a gravy train. You know, there are hundreds and thousands of businesses that start up every year and close every year. You've always thought, hmm, boy, I'd like to own my own business. That'd be that's, that's the cream of the crop. Most businesses in our economically depressed economy are either hanging on by a thread or on the brink of closing altogether. And there's lots of stress for the conscientious owner, especially if his business is responsible for the income of a number of his employees. And he doesn't want to see that happen. Oh, if I close the doors, Mary, John, Bill, they're going to lose their job. They're depending on me. Part of the stress. Thirdly, what about sleepless nights? That's another stress factor. Verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or he eats much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. What's the goal? Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, 24 and following, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Wow, that's a great goal. Solomon references that. There are two weekdays that are the most worrisome to wealthy businessmen. Friday's closing figures of the stock market and Monday's opening bell. That's it. Why is that? Well, Solomon says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Uh, to put it in the today's vernacular, fortunes have been lost between Friday's closing of the market and Monday's opening. Yeah, there's a few days. Deals discussed but not confirmed on Friday become broken promises on Monday. And this can make for many sleepless nights with so much that's hanging in the balance. The wheeler dealer of society fret about things like this all the time. That's why they don't sleep at night. What's the labor doing? Well,. The nine to five millwright or auto builder or mason or beautician, (laughs) Marsha. What are we doing at night? We're sleeping. We're enjoying our solitude. Let me read on whether he earns a little or a lot, he is sawing them off in perfect contentment. He knows all things considered. He will have the money to eat and pay his bills. He doesn't lose sleep over the thought of losing all. For the Christian, the Bible says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, verse 3. He's not trusting in the stock market. He's not trusting in the fact that he bought gold and silver, according to the uh, TV ad, and put that in his safe. He's not trusting in that. I haven't thought about all all those. (laughs) Is it Devane? (laughs) He's always buying gold, sticking in his safe. When the economy crashes, who's going to show up at his door? (laughs) All the robbers and thieves in the neighborhood. It'll either be his life or his gold. I think he'll give up his gold. So there's a volatile economy. And we we certainly have that. And then, what about wealth that is hoarded or lost? You're in Ecclesiastes 5. Let's read together beginning at verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Negative a man comes from his mother's womb and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hands. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Wow. What's hoarding wealth? Well, it's hanging on to it and not putting it to work. It's reported that hundreds, yes, thousands of companies right now in America are sitting on millions and millions of dollars that add up to the trillions of dollars. Refusing to update obsolete equipment, refusing to hire more workers, why? Because of the uncertainty of the future, that's why. And so while they await an economic turnaround that the president is working on, They, in some ways, are responsible that no turnaround comes because they're sitting on the money. They're sitting on the money that it takes to kickstart the economy. Trump is trying to have a tax plan go through in which the corporate rate will go from 35% to 20%, a 15% reduction, and that will kick the economy started again. But people have to agree to that. There's another problem already touched. Look at verse 14. Wealth lost through some misfortune. Result? There's no inheritance to leave your family. And so all the toiling as a businessman is characterized by what? Verse 17. Great frustration, affliction, anger. These then are some of the stress factors for the very wealthy. Number one, they are never satisfied with the money they obtain. Number two, their goods are accumulated, become goods that pass away. All the owner gets to do is watch. Three, sleepless nights due to worry. Four, hoarding wealth that benefits no one. And loss of wealth through all poor investment strategy. Now I can see the wheels turning. Some of you thinking, thinking, hmm, stress factors and all for the rich, uh, uh, I'd really like to give it a try. <laughs> really? What if the riches broke you emotionally? What if they broke you mentally? What if the riches destroyed you spiritually? Hmm. Paul warns, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10. And Jesus' warning is even more sobering. What good, says Jesus, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, verse 36 and 37. So well, I never thought of that. Well, Christ is saying to you, think about it. God doesn't sell salvation, and he takes no bribes regardless of what you may offer. Jesus also taught that you cannot serve both God and money. So if you opt for the idol of money, you will lose your soul. That's not a very inviting alternative. Money, goods, merchandise, things. (laughs) When you die, you're going to leave that all behind. And when God's judgment comes, it's all going to be burned up. Either way, it's lose-lose, right? With regard to things, money, gold, silver. Now, let me close by suggesting some help for the financially stressed, because I don't want to minimize this. First things first, and that is God first. Sounds odd, doesn't it? I'm financially stressed, and the pastor is telling me God must come first in terms of how I manage my money. Well, let me give it to you from Jesus' lips. So do not worry, he says, saying, Oh, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, verse 31 and following. When considering most people of the world, what's the pagan plan of economics? The pagan plan. David gives us a clue. He says, they are like a lion hungry for prey. Like a great lion crouching in cover. Rise up, O Lord, and confront them. Bring them down, O Lord, by your hand. Save me from such men, from men of this world, whose reward is in this life. You still the hunger of those you cherish. Their sons have plenty, and they store up wealth for their children. Psalm 17, verse 12 through 14. And David makes this observation about the pagan world. Men of this world, he says, consider their reward to be in this life. He words it that way. And they're in this life. That's what they're working for. So they aren't seeking God. They aren't seeking his kingdom. They aren't striving for righteousness. No, they're striving for gold, for money to make their fortune. Again, the psalmist says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but they can't see. They have ears but they can't hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Psalm 135, verse 15 and following. Or again, why should I fear when evil days come, says the psalmist, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. That he should live on forever and not see decay. Psalm 49. Money can buy you some things, but it's not going to buy you heaven's glory. It's not going to buy you forgiveness from God. The pagan plan for financial is to grab as much of this world's wealth as you can get your hands on and then sit back in your retirement years, cash in your CDs, and live a life of luxury. Their God is money and gold and fortune. They never consider that their soul is what should be valued as priceless. They busy themselves amassing treasures on earth when they should be laying up treasures in heaven. Listen now to Job's perspective. Job says, if I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in its splendor. So that my heart was secretly enticed and My hand offered them a kiss of homage. Then these also would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. Job 3, verse 24. and Well, he didn't do that, but he says, "If, if I had done that, if I put my trust in gold and silver, and if I worship the sun and the stars and the moon, that would be sin. May I say that for our pagan world, it is gold first. For the believer, it must be God first. The Old Testament teaching on tithing, your earnings, is what? It's from the first fruits that the tithe is to come. And that taught as well that God comes first and that when this is your financial practice, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Malachi 3 verse 10. The way for prosperity, for God's people, God first. And God will take care of you. And then secondly, learn to be realistic, may I say biblical, about your material holdings. Be biblical about your material holdings. Things wear out. (laughs) Or they become obsolete to the point where their usefulness and, more importantly, their value is no more. Jesus made this point in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal. Matthew 6, verse 19. That's our world. What's he saying? He's saying this, the brakes on your car are going to wear out. (laughs) The strawberries you buy for your breakfast cereal will have some rotten ones at the bottom of the little carton. Some of my socks in my drawer have holes in the toes. My garden holds leaks my air compressor will no longer shut off automatically as it's designed to do. It just keeps running. Decay, breakage, deterioration, they're all part of the material goods that you and I strive for. Ever heard of gold corroding? Corroding. Gold corroding. James talks about that. Listen, he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, the moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. (laughs) Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how... He is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James 5, the first eight verses. Corroded gold, corroded silver are the payments due workers and investors for their efforts, but which have been stolen and hoarded by the rich to afford them a life of luxury and self-indulgence. The Lord's coming is near and it will show the truth of Paul's perspective on wealth, which is this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I think they're essentially the same thoughts of Solomon in our text, verse 19 and 20. And then finally, remember that none of what you own, none of what you cherish, value, none of it will buy you eternal life or accompany you to glory. So who are you working for? Look at verse 15 and 16. Solomon says, "Negative man comes from his mother's womb. As he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hands. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for what? The wind. Job's analysis when he lost all of his wealth and even his children under Satan's attack was this. Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I shall depart. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job chapter 1, verse 21. There's a man that understands that all of life, bad as well as good, comes our way by the hand of God. And We were talking about that in the adult class, how providence affects both. So my counsel to you is to hold your possessions, hold your bank account, hold your stocks and bonds, hold your real estate with loose fingers, not a tight grip, because these have no lasting value. They will not buy you a spot in heaven. In fact, if these are the idols of your life, they will buy you a spot in hell say, oh, that's pretty strong. Oh, let me read it to you. The account of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus is telling this account. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. And in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, hey, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, in your lifetime, you received your good things. While Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Luke 16, verse 22 and following. Eternity will tell who are the truly rich. Make sure that your values reflect God's and not the pagan world. Jesus taught his disciples, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, me, has no place to lay his head. Matthew 8, verse 20. And that was said to the teachers of the law, who said to Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus' response is kind of like, oh, really? Really? well, if you're going to follow me where I go, here's what you're going to get. The animals and the birds of creation have places to lay their head at night, but not me. You're going to follow me? You're going to take up your cross and follow me. The builder of Bigger and Better barns sat down at the end of his building project And he talked to himself. And he said something like this. Soul? You you, you talk to yourself like that. Soul? Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Boy, you got it all. You got bigger barns and they're all full. You don't even have to plan anymore. And God said, You fool, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Is not rich towards God. Luke 12, verse 19 and following. Brethren, Make sure you're rich towards God. If you're not driving the latest foreign imported car, you don't live in the most beautiful house surrounded by the most beautiful trees, if you don't eat at the most opulent restaurants in the community, if you have God, you're rich beyond compare. And God won't let you down. He'll make sure there's food for your table, clothes for your bag, a car for you to drive to work, work for you to earn money, and on and on. He is beholden to none of you. Our Lord, thank you for your care of us. Please, don't allow us to become people of the world who live for what? Amassing things, getting their hands on every piece of gold or silver or money. That they can. We even have ads on TV saying that we're not anything until we can buy some gold and silver, put it in our safe. (laughs) Maybe we don't even have a safe. What is safe is to know Christ, the power of his salvation, the joy of his peace and grace, be able to put our head on the pillow at night and go to sleep and not worry and fret about tomorrow knowing that God will take care of tomorrow just as he took care of today bless your word to our hearts may our faith be strong and where it is weak Lord bolster us by giving us eyes to see what you do for us every day much of it going unnoticed by us to our own shame make us thankful amen Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, and that is hymn number 445, 445. i a great hymn. We all have something that we can give to God, right? Your talents, your abilities, your prayer life, witnessing. Yes, your material goods, but so much. During Thanksgiving season, we ought to be thinking of ways to show our thanks to God. Amen. Now tonight at 6 o'clock, we will be again in our study of John's Gospel. And tonight we start in <clears throat> chapter 17. This is the true Lord's Prayer, John 17. Not the one, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a disciple's prayer. The Lord's Prayer, if you want to know what he prayed about, and this is only hours before his crucifixion, come out and study John 17, 6 o'clock. See you then. Ik ben er niet bij.